This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. Unfortunately, not joined this week by Bazooka Joe Valtellini, who is on the other side of the pond in London, England. He will hopefully be back to join me next week. Should I be in town to do it? We're going to Phoenix next week to cover UFC 274. And hopefully, Joe and I will be able to connect. And we've got a lot to discuss this week. So much happened in the world of combat sports over the past weekend. The UFC might have been fourth out of, you know, in the pecking order there. Quite the weekend. You've got Bellator, two nights in Hawaii. The first PFL event, which we discussed on last week's show, but still a great event nonetheless. Of course, Fury versus Dillian White. And not that the UFC is the small potatoes. I mean, in terms of audience, they're obviously number two here. But in terms of the strength of schedule, so to speak, the UFC might have been in last place. But still, a great night of UFC action, particularly for the Canadians. You know, the Canadians are on a bit of a run right now. So we'll talk about that, as well as all things going on in the world of combat sports. Why don't we start with the UFC regardless? Because, you know, that's our bread and butter. We are the TSN MMA show, after all. And the UFC, as I mentioned, is the big dog in the pound when it comes to mixed martial arts. And, of course, we had a a great event this past weekend. And it was made great by the performances of the fighters. We had uh, Jessica Andrade taking on Amanda Lemos in the main event. And Lemos looked good until she didn't. You know, she was doing a good job landing on Jessica Andrade. Keeping her at distance, landing big shots, Andrade staying patient, Andrade not getting reckless, not rushing in. Eventually, gets Lamosh in a standing arm triangle choke and finishes it. The first male or female fighter in UFC history to successfully win a fight using a standing arm triangle choke. And the amount of strength that, that must take is the kind of strength that we believe that Jessica Andrade would have, uh, having watched her fight, of course, over the years. She is a, a force of nature. And back in the strawweight division with a big splash, Lemos certainly no joke. And you could tell from early on in that fight that uh, Lemos was game. She was ready to go. But there's this picture that's going around of her in that arm triangle cho- choke where she's like, you, you see the look on her face and it's like, I don't know what to do here. Get me out. She didn't know how to handle that. The strength of Jessica Andrade. And now Andrade right back into the mix in the strawweight division. I mean, it's all it takes, right? Is uh, a nice win over an up-and-comer like Lemos. And, you know, a lot of people thought that uh, perhaps Lemos lost her last fight to Angela Hill. I, I, I personally did not. I thought that Lemos won that fight. I went back and watched, and uh, I thought that she was landing the more immediately damaging shot, which is what the criteria aims to reward. But uh, I thought that... She was a good matchup for Andrade. I thought that Andrade, as long as she avoided the power, would be able to win the fight. And she did. Now she's ranked number five in the women's strawweight division behind the likes of Zhang Weili, who has defeated Andrade in the past. Carla Esparza, who's fighting Rose Namajunas for the championship in two weeks' time. Marina Rodriguez, who has had quite the ascent. Mackenzie Dern, which I don't necessarily agree with, but ahead of Andrade nonetheless. And then Andrade is at number 5. Amanda Lemos drops all the way down to 11. But uh, I guess he was ranked number 10 beforehand, so they didn't drop her all that much. But uh, everybody in that division goes down while Jessica Andrade sits at number 5. I'm surprised Brianna Van Buren is ranked number 15. 
why is Brianna Brianna Van Buren just had a, a child first off uh, as far as I, if I recall correctly she was pregnant but uh, if, if I go back and look at her record like how many wins what's her record in the UFC her record's one and one in the UFC and they haven't ranked 15th wow that, that speaks volumes about uh, this, this division that she's ranked number 15 I mean of course was the strawweight champion in Invicta so definitely came with some fanfare to the UFC but one on one with a win over Olivia Hinata Souza gets her to being ranked 15th well well be that as it may uh, and I am surprised by that like for example you've got like Lupita Godinez is fighting soon I would put her above Brianna Van Buren at least in the strawweight division but we'll see how what Van Buren looks like when she eventually comes back I, I I'm sure that her priority right now is her child but nevertheless surprised to see her there number 15 Either way, that's what happened in the main event of this past weekend's card. Andrade back in the top five of the women's strawweight division. And, uh, of course, is the former champion. Had a win over the current champion. And I'm sure would like to get one back against Rose uh, after she lost the three-round rematch between the two of them. Back in 2020, I believe. 2020, end of 2020. But the rest of the card had some really excellent moments. Uh, Claudio Pueyes gets a win over Clay Guida in the co-main event. The third knee bar victory for Pueyes, the most in UFC history. I don't think anybody even has two, and he's got three. So becoming something of a specialist. And was talking about all fight week about how he doesn't even really train it. It's just kind of, he just knows how to execute it well, which is quite interesting. Macy Barber in the win column once more. She's now won two in a row, uh, although many not giving her credit for the previous win against Miranda Maverick. Have to give her credit this time around. 30-27 across the board against Montana De La Rosa. You know, before the fight started, I did the preview show with Dan Tom and mentioned that I thought that the physicality of Barber was going to be an issue for De La Rosa, and that proved to be the case. Barber looking very good in that fight. And, you know, she's decided to kind of take it slow. At first, she wanted to be the first, the uh, I guess, youngest champion in UFC history. That, I don't believe, is possible anymore. I don't know exactly how old she is, but she certainly not, is not going to be a champion at a younger age than John Jones was, still has some work to do in the flyweight division. Not to mention that there's a Goliath named Valentina Shevchenko <laughs> lording over the division right now. But Barber kind of says, you know what? I, I came in. I wanted to have a goal. My goal was to become the youngest champion. Not going to happen. So I'm just going to take it slowly. I'm going to take what comes to me. And one day I will be the champion. So her goals have changed based on what's happened to her in the UFC. So I, I, I commend that, respectable, and a great performance by her. And then, to start off the main card, back-to-back Canadian guillotine chokes, one to 232 for Charles Jordan of Orlando Venata, one to 236 for Marc-Andre Berrio against Jordan Wright. Very nice to see the Canadians do their thing. Marc-Andre Berrio bounces back after a tough early first-round loss to Chidi Njokwani. Charles Jardin wins his second straight after a win over Andre Yule. And uh, he defeats, I think, his second toughest opponent ever in Lando Venata. Toughest, of course, being Duho Choi. Um, or I guess I'd say it's the second best win. I, I don't want to write off Andre Feely. I think Andre Feely is probably a higher quality opponent than Lando Venata. But, uh, especially given that we saw that Feely won that fight. But Charles Jardin scores a submission victory over Lando Venata. Looked great. And also, the ability to do that, that one-arm guillotine... Very, very impressive. Of course, was able to finish it. Going to make people think twice about trying to take him down. You know, everybody's questioning this guy's grappling game. You know, his wrestling, his grappling. But he's the type of guy that springs up when you take him down. 
and now he's showing a submission arsenal that is effective against UFC talent, he's going to be a handful. You look at Charles Jordan, still only 26 years old. One of the younger fighters in the UFC. And he just continues to ascend. Has turned out to be an, an excellent signing for the UFC. So good on Charles Jordan, who gets another one. And Marc-Andre Berrio. Great to see him get his first ever submission win over Jordan Wright. Short notice assignment, 190-pound catchweight. Good for him. He really wanted to get one back after that really bad loss to Enjo Kawani and uh, was able to do so. So kudos to him. We'll go over the prelims quickly. Sergey Kandorshko, back in action after several years away, gets a second round TKO. A great fight against Dwight Grant, the one fight of the night. You know, personally, if it was up to me, I'd give out four performance bonuses. Charles Rodin just can't get a bonus for the life of him. Has all these great fights and never gotten a bonus in the UFC. Would have given him one. Might have given Barrio one. Or Tyson Pedro, who we'll talk about in a sec. Irie Killang, great KO as well. So Kandoshko, back in the win column. Nice win for him. And another long layoff, Tyson Pedro. He gets a, a KO finish over Ike Villanueva at the end of the first round. Great to see him back. I know he wants to stay active, and I hope he does. He brings such an interesting skill set to the light heavyweight division, and I think that that is something that is always refreshing to see in that division. You know, he was getting close to being a contender in that division until those injuries kicked in. And then the division started to just get a little bit more crowded. So he's got some work to do, some ground to make up in order to reestablish himself as a, a ranked fighter in that division. Iori Killing, knockout over Cameron Else. Awesome KO. I think this guy should stay at bantamweight. He just has more power at bantamweight. He had good power at flyweight, but I, I just think with him being more filled out, this is just a better weight class for him. I think it's a better fit for him. I think his skill set is more conducive to this weight class. I think his gas tank, his cardio, more conducive to this uh, weight class, his speed. Just has so many advantages at bantamweight that I don't think he had at flyweight. Obviously, he still had those tools at flyweight, but I think that He's much more served to stay at bantamweight and uh, really liked what I saw from him against Cameron Else. First round knockout. One of seven fights to end in the first round out of the 11 on the card. Preston Parsons, unanimous decision over the very tough, now previously undefeated, Evan Elder. Elder hung in there. I mean, Parsons was throwing the kitchen sink at him. And Elder, while it was his debut, uh, short notice assignment, didn't look at, I'm sure, the best that he could be. Uh, but, of course, under those circumstances, you want to get in the UFC. And, of course, in his next fight, he will have the opportunity to prove that he is UFC caliber. Because in that that fight, while he did hang tough, you know, you don't want to be known for your toughness and not known for your ability. And I think that Evan Elber, Elder has the ability. He just needs to uh, have the right circumstances to showcase them. Felipe Linz defeats uh, Marcin Pracnio. Unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. I agreed with this decision. Uh, Linz looks good at light heavyweight. You know, I, I didn't think that uh, his return to light heavyweight was going to yield great results in the UFC because I thought that were, you know, everybody was going to be a little bit faster than him. But he looked good. His body looked different. Uh, his style, I think, is probably more conducive to the light heavyweight skill set. So good on him. Defeats Mar- Marcin Prashneo. And he, he was not backing down. He was throwing big strikes, trying to get Prashneo out of there. Uh, certainly without trying to cruise to a, a decision. And then a bizarre opening fight. Mike the Truth Jackson defeats Dean Barry by disqualification, eye gouging. And I think this was the right call. You know, you could have called it a no contest, but man, he had he had already hurt Mike Jackson with a, a really 
bad groin strike, spinning kick to the nether regions. Mike Jackson, of course, referring to it as something different in the cage. Followed by, a little bit later on in the first round, an eye gouge where basically he had two fingers in his eye. And, uh, I mean, people were saying that Mike Jackson should have continued. That was a bad eye poke, man. That was a bad eye poke. So, Mike Jackson scores a disqualification win. I think that uh, the referee made the right call there by, you know, calling that a disqualification. Watch the replay. Look terrible. Utilized all the tools that a referee needs at their disposal to make the right call there. And I think that was the right call. So Mike Jackson now, while the last fight was with CM Punk was technically a no contest. In two, two fights in a row, basically, where he got the win. I mean, you can say it's a no contest, but he won that fight against uh, CM Punk. And now it went over Dean Barry. Mike Jackson just hanging around, hanging around. We'll see uh, what is next for him. I suggested that uh, his next fight be against Martin Sano who's a, a friend of the Diaz brothers, came in, fought Matthew Semmelsberger, and got absolutely smoked in that, that fight. But I think if uh, you're going to keep Martin Sano Jr. around, Mike Jackson's the guy. See who uh, see who's who in that uh, in that fight. Because I, I don't think that Sano certainly gave the best account of himself in that fight against Semmelsberger. Bonuses go to Kendoshko versus Grant, as I mentioned earlier. And the performance of the night bonuses go to Pueyas and Jessica Andrade. So uh, a fun card for the UFC. In the world of boxing, Tyson Fury looked phenomenal against Dillian White. It looked like a very lopsided fight. Uh, not that Dillian White didn't have the resume. Of course he did, but Tyson Fury just looks like he is uh, an unstoppable force right now. He had hinted at potentially retiring after that fight, but I still think that there's two big fights ahead of him. The winner of Anthony Joshua versus Usyk. And of course... This fight that's been teased for some time against Francis Ngannou, but with the caveat that it's with four-ounce gloves. I'm not a proponent of MMA versus boxing. I think it's silly. I think you, you, you stick with one sport or the other. But if you can try to level that playing field just a little bit, especially a guy with Francis's power, I would be very intrigued to watch a boxing rules fight with four-ounce gloves. Cage, ring, I don't care. But if there's going to be four-ounce gloves... With Francis Ngannou's power, all it takes is one. And I would be very interested, very interested to see what would happen in that fight. You know, we, I hear all these people saying, oh, let, why is everybody poo-pooing this idea with Francis facing uh, Tyson Fury? Why, why don't people want to see People want to see it. They want to see it with the forearms gloves. I don't think anybody wants to see him box Tyson Fury. Everybody wants to see Francis Ngannou get compensated well for what he's doing. No doubt. But I don't think people care that much about seeing a, a straight boxing match between him and the best heavyweight boxer right now and probably of the last couple decades. But, I mean, if you can do four-ounce gloves in Ganu versus Tyson Fury, that's a monstrous fight. Now, I don't know what circumstances need to take place in order for that to happen. Uh, Francis Ngannou was on the MMA Hour this week and talked about how his contract in December is, is done with the UFC, and I don't know if there's a way for them to prolong it or what the deal is. I don't know. I don't know the legalese behind it. I have no idea. It is surprising to me that he could just walk because wouldn't lots of UFC champions just want to build their brand up in the UFC? And if the UFC, you know, by all accounts, is not paying the fighters well enough, you know, everybody says the fighters need to go to boxing, make more money, need to go elsewhere to make more money, free agency. Wouldn't they all just sit out? 
Like, wouldn't the champions, like, if they, if they didn't feel like they were they were compensated fairly, just all set out like this? I, that's what, I'm not trying to be condescending here. I just, I'm curious because it surprises me that Francis can just walk. I don't know what, what what's going on there, but it doesn't seem like Francis wants to walk. It seems like Francis wants to get a Fury fight done in concert with the UFC and stick around for a fight against Stipe and Jones, which, uh, according to Ariel Hawani, this is not going to happen this summer. And John Jones himself said, Stipe wants to wait till September. I'll wait till September. September's not that far away. I know that because my youngest is going to kindergarten in September. We're counting down the days. Can have an empty house for like a couple hours a day. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. But it's not that far away. And I think for Stipe and Jones, that's an amazing fight whenever you can do it. I thought it was going to be International Fight Week. And I don't know what they're going to do for International Fight Week now. Because if you go division by division, I don't know what Usman's status is in terms of his uh, his hand. Every time I've seen it, it looks like it's still wrapped up. I don't know if he's going to be able to fight. But International Fight Week is sneaking up on us. We're April 26th right now at the time of this recording. So in a month, two months, basically two months away. It's like 10 weeks. We don't have a main event. If you go round by round, if you go, sorry, division by division, Rose is fighting in May. Shevchenko is fighting in June. Nunez and Pena, doesn't look like that's going to be at that time because the Ultimate Fighter will be going on. And from what I understand, that's not going to be happening at the International Fight Week. Flyweight, we could see that. But, uh, you know, you're not going to make that your marquee fight for International Fight Week. I don't know if it's going to end up being Moreno or if it's going to be... Pantoja, or who is going to be in that main event? But uh, yeah, that's that's going to be interesting because that, you're not going to be able to sell an international fight week with that as your headliner. Featherweight's a possibility. You could do Max and uh, and Volkanovski, depending on if Volkanovski wants to get back in. I know he said that he wanted to fight three times, so that's a possibility. Again, not exactly a marquee fight for international fight week, but I think they could they could go with it. Uh, bantamweight, Aljamain Sterling versus T.J. Dillashaw is a possibility. We'll have to see. Uh, I, I don't know what uh, kind of shape. Aljamain's in. I know he wanted to take a little bit of time off after winning the belt, but uh, it was only like two or three weeks he wanted to take off, and then he wanted to get back at it. Lightweight division, that's taking place in May. Oliveira versus Gaethje. Doubt that's going to be able to turn around for July, but if one of these guys is able to win quickly, who knows? Stranger things have happened. Middleweight, Israel, available. Don't know who he would be facing next. Oh, actually, I do. It would be Cannoneer. Sorry. I'm speaking out of turn here. It would be against Cannoneer. Again, not sure how big of a fight that is, but either way. Uh, welterweight, Usman again. Usman versus Edwards. Looks like that's going to be a big one coming down the pipe at some point. Light heavyweight, book for June. Heavyweight, interim, Jones versus Stipe. If that could happen in September. And I don't know. Are they gonna, would they want to do another interim fight between two other guys? Like, a, I don't know. And rumblings, again, from Ariel Hawani, that the UFC is looking to do an event in France that uh, Cyril Gaon would likely headline. So... Unless they want to do some sort of interim bout with Cyril Gaon against Tai Tuivasa or Curtis Blades or something along those lines. I think that they should hang on to it for Stipe versus Jones in September, personally. I mean, make that fight as big as you possibly can. And I don't even know if it would be September. I think October is probably more likely because that's when they try to hold like a more of a tentpole event. If uh, you want to call it that. The UFC likes to have a big October event. So, a lot of balls in the air right now. I don't know what International Fight Week is going to look like. I hope it's something big. I hope they've got something up their sleeve. But... Uh, the options are, let's just say, not so juicy. <laughs> They're not the juiciest options. 
I thought Ngannou versus Dipe was a home run if you were able to do that for International Fight Week. But I don't know what they can do. Either way, that's not for me to worry about. I just uh, cover the fights, watch them, talk about them. But I want to talk about something big for July. They've got this whole week planned, so let's let's get uh, let's let's get some uh, some big fights booked, shall we? So that was the UFC card, and uh, of course, the reason I mentioned Ngannou and Tyson Fury is because Francis Ngannou was in the ring with Fury afterwards, and Fury was kind of challenging him. And Ngannou's game, he'll do it. But again, four ounce gloves, make it happen. Big event, millions of pay per view buys. I think that would be a massive spectacle because it's different. Like boxing, if you're doing two mixed martial like a mixed martial artist versus a boxing a boxer in boxing rules, that's just boxing. If you're doing something with four ounce gloves, you're you're doing a hybrid model. I think that's your best bet. I think that's that's what you want to look at if you're going to be taking the two best fighters from the respective sports and putting them in together. You can do boxing rules, whatever, but four ounce gloves. I like it. Because what would Tyson Fury look like with four ounce gloves? That would be cool to see. We all know what Francis looks like with four-ounce gloves. Francis isn't much of a kicker anyways. His primary weapon are, are his hands. He throws kicks, of course. Of course, you know, he took landed takedowns against Cyril Ghosn, but that's not that's never been his game plan in the past. So, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, four-ounce gloves. Sign me up. I'm interested. Over on the Bellator side, the tournament continued. Uh, that bantamweight tournament is awesome. I mean, I know Pettis is out, and now we have an interim champion. We'll get to that in a second. But, wow. UFC, well, sorry, Bellator 278. We saw the, uh, one of the new qualifiers for the uh, tournament, which was Danny Sabatello against Jornel Lugo. Sabatello just absolutely wrecked Lugo, ran through him. Took him down, kept him there, made his life miserable. And this guy's great on the mic. You know, it's funny, I look at this tournament, and we have, we had uh, Barzola versus Mikhailov, and Sabatella versus Lugo. Barzola was in the UFC, they could have had him on the, on, they could, should have kept him, or could have kept him. Like, what was his record in the UFC? It was pretty good, if I recall. His UFC record was 4-1, uh, 4-2, 5-2. Five and three. Six and three. Or sorry, five and three with one draw. The losses to Movsar Evloev, Kevin Aguilar, Kyle Bokniak. Decent resume. I mean, if you look at the wins, they were good wins. Bobby Moffat, Brandon Davis, Matt Bassett, Gabriel Benitez. Not sure how many of those guys are still in the UFC. I know Brandon Davis, I believe, is. I'm not sure about Gabriel Benitez. The others, I, I'm pretty sure, are not. But then you go to UFC 279. Rafael Stotts was on the UFC's radar. They went to go. They basically went to go sign him. And then <laughs> Marab Tualashvili was his opponent, and Marab beat him, beat him quickly. So Marab's still with the UFC, but they could have probably signed Rafael Stotts if they wanted to. He was loosely associated with the UFC for a time. Patchy Mix has always been Bellator, but Kyoji Horiguchi he walked. They let him walk. They they didn't bring him back. So a lot of these people in this tournament have some ties to the UFC, which makes me wonder what their bantamweight division could have looked like. Had they signed Sabatello also was on the Contender Series, they could have signed Sabatello. You know, it's all of these different things that could have happened. But uh, be that as it may, 
278. Liz Carmouche versus Juliana Velasquez. A massively controversial ending. 13 seconds left in the fourth round. Carmouche has Velasquez in a crucifix. Landing elbows. Not the heaviest elbows. Mike Beltran, without warning, not saying, you know, defend yourself, jumps in and stops the fight. And uh, it was a very unsatisfying ending for not just Juliana Velasquez, but the masses who watched this event. Now, my big question is, you know, Mike Beltran is closer to the action than we are, than the camera guy is, than any of our angles. Did he see her eyes roll backwards? Was there something that he saw on Juliana Velasquez's face that led him to believe that she was out, or that she was not going to be able to survive the next 13 seconds or whatever? Because people say, oh, let her survive the round. The referee has no idea how long is left in the round. That's not their job. Their job is to watch the fight second by second, and if you think that the fight should be stopped, you stop the fight. I think this was a premature stoppage for sure, but I also don't know what Mike Beltran saw. And the problem is, the referees are never made available after the fact. Nobody's able to say, hey, what did you see there? Why, why did you stop that fight? Walk us through your methodology. Never happens. And I think that's actually bad for the commissions. I think it's bad for the reps. I think the refs should have an opportunity to explain themselves in these situations because obviously Mike, Mike Beltran's a good referee. We, we don't see Mike Beltran have flubs like this very often. How often do you say Mike Beltran did a, a bad job? You don't see that very often. He's a very good referee. Very good referee. So you look at this particular fight, maybe he saw something that we didn't. That being said, without saying defend yourself or something along those lines, to just jump in there and stop the fight when Velasquez is moving, Velasquez looks like she's present. Carmouche was landing some decent elbows. I wouldn't say they were, they were you know, they didn't cut her open. They weren't fight-ending elbows and under any other circumstances, but in the crucifix, you can't really get out. You're stuck. So she was in Liz Carmouche's spider web getting elbowed. And Mike Beltran saw something. Something that decided, made him decide to stop that fight. But Velasquez was up on the cards in the first three rounds. I think it was 30-27, 29-28, and 30-27 for Velasquez on the three cards. But Liz Carmouche is your new champion. Good for Liz Carmouche. She's been at it for a long time. And now, if you look at the revisionist history, look, this is without context. Without context, here is Liz Carmouche's resume: a win over Valentina Shevchenko, almost submitted Ronda Rousey, had had Rousey's back, had her in a choke. That was close, close to getting a stoppage against Ronda Rousey in the first ever women's bantamweight championship bout in the UFC. TKO win over Jessica Andrade. That's not nothing. Win over Lauren Murphy. Win over Caitlin Jukagian. Those are two of the top five women's flyweights right now in the UFC. Win over Justin Jennifer Maya, who fought for the title. So you got three different title challengers there in the UFC that she has wins over. She has an amazing resume. You just don't think about it because she's had mixed results in her career. But you look at the losses, they're all pretty much to elite fighters. Valentina Shevchenko. Of course, one of the elite fighters in women's MMA history. Alexis Davis fought for a title. It's split decision loss. Misha Tate. Alexis Davis again. So two losses to Alexis Davis. Might not, you might not say Alexis Davis is elite, but she, I mean, she fought for a title. Ronda Rousey, of course. Sarah McMahon. One of the more underrated women's fighters of all time. And Marlouz Kunin. One of the pioneers of women's MMA. As, you know, it's a pretty solid resume, all things considered. And I was never all that high on Juliana Velasquez, to be honest. I thought that uh, she lost that fight to Denise Kilholz last time around. 
but that doesn't necessarily, that, you know, I'm not trying to diminish this being a bad stoppage. This was a bad stoppage, and she should still potentially be the champion. Maybe they're going to run it back. I don't know, but I'd like to see what Denise Kielholz could do against uh, Liz Carmouche. I think that would be a fun fight, but we'll see where it goes. I think they'll probably end up running that one back, especially after looking at the, what the scorecards had going into the fourth. Enrique Barzola defeats Nikita Mikhailov. Mikhailov's a lot of fun to watch. He's got an arsenal, but uh, he was handled by Barzola. Danny Sabatello, as I mentioned, great win over Jornel Lugo. Let's go to, U- to Bellator 279. Cyborg, Arlene Blenko. You know, people are calling this a war, but wars tend to have, you know, more of a back and forth, more competitive. It wasn't a lopsided beatdown, but Chris Cyborg won that fight easily. 49-45 on all cards. The reason it was 49 is because of a foul in the first round. Had a point taken away. Blenko is a warrior. I mean, she gave it her all. She threw the kitchen sink and then some at Chris Cyborg. She hung in there for five rounds. But Chris Cyborg, clearly the superior fighter. I don't know what there is for Chris Cyborg left in Bellator. You know, Kat Zingano. I have no idea. Seems like that Zingano fight kept falling apart whenever they were trying to make it. And there are rumors that she could be a free agent in July and that that Kayla Harrison fight in the PFL might be something they're going to make. Hey, man. That's a great fight. That is a great fight if you can do Chris Cyborg against Kayla Harrison. I'm talking to Kayla Harrison later this week. I'm going to ask her about that. Curious what she thinks. Or if she has any details that perhaps she could share. Raphion Stotts defeats Juan Archuleta. Third round KO. Raphion Stotts is your new band, your new interim bantamweight champion, rather. Fantastic showing for Raphael Stotts. Fantastic. And this tournament is super exciting because we also had Patchy Mix defeat Kyoji Horaguchi by unanimous decision. Interesting fight. Because personally, you know, Mix could have, you could have made a case for a 10-8 for Mix, I think in the first round, if it was, first or second. I thought Kyoji won the third. I thought, Kyo, you know, he, he was on his back for most of it, but if you're looking at damage, I thought he landed more damage. I personally had it a draw, but 48-47 across the board. Patchy Mix, don't want to take anything away from him. Hey, he was one of my TSN Edge recommended plays this week, last week. So, hey, kudos to Patchy Mix. We'll take it. He was a 2-1 to underdog. Uh, and uh, he moves on to the semifinals as well. But, uh, yeah, Patchy Mix is so much fun to watch. Good fighter. And same with Ky- Kyoji Horiguchi. And everybody thought Kyoji was the, was the favorite in that tournament. So now what? You know? <laughs> now what? I'd say Stotts is probably the favorite from here, but I mean, Patchy Mix looks really good against a very, very game Kyoji Horiguchi, who's now lost two in a row. Justine Kish defeats Elimale McFarlane. Matt McFarlane just did not look good. Did not look good. I, I mean, I think she clearly won the first round, but uh, yeah. It didn't look like the old Elimale McFarlane. Elimale McFarlane was a really solid champion in Bellator who beat some good opponents. So to lose to Justine Kish in Hawaii... That's, that's got to be demoralizing for her. And uh, I know she had talked about retirement in the past. She's got a good gig with Bellator doing broadcasting if she wants it, I would imagine. She's very good at it. So if, if that's her decision, you know, more power to her. But uh, I don't think that was her best showing, and I'm sure she would agree. Someone who did have a great showing, Yancy Medeiros, defeats Emmanuel Sanchez. That was a, that was a great fight. And kudos to Medeiros. One fight deal comes into Hawaii on his in his backyard and defeats Emmanuel Sanchez. Emmanuel Sanchez is a really good fighter, who's had a really bad rough streak, rough patch recently. He lost four in a row. Patricio Pitbull, Mads Brunel, Jeremy Kennedy, Yancy Medeiros. 
Whew. And I remember watching him against Daniel Weichel back in November of 2020 and thinking, man, this guy's got something. He's he could he could really push Pitbull. That didn't end up happening, but Manuel Sanchez. Solid fighter. And uh Yancy Madero did did very well against him. PFL this week. We have the heavyweights and the featherweights. Capaloza against Stuart Austin in the main event. Brendan Lofnane against Ryoji Kudo in the co-main event. Some solid fights. Nice to see Lance Palmer versus Chris Wade. That's a good fight on the, on the card. Anti Delizia against uh, Mateus Schaefel. Uh, Hendon Fejeja, uh, who uh, defeated uh, Verdum last year, taking on Jamel Jones, who was a latecomer to the PFL. I think he entered basically midseason. He looked really good. I believe he was the CFFC champion. Good fighter. And Kyle Bokniak takes a short notice of opponent. The aforementioned Bokniak, who we discussed when we were talking about, was it Enrique Barzola earlier? I think so. Taking on Baba Jenkins. So some uh, some good fights on the horizon for the PFL. And, of course, we've got uh, UFC Fight Night Font versus Vera. Rob Font versus Marlon Vera in the main event. And Jake Collier, another co-main event for Big Jake, taking on Andre Arlovsky. These co-main events are baffling sometimes. They're just baffling. But, hey. Let's, uh, let's see how it goes. I guess Romanov versus Chase Sherman got moved to this card as well. So there you go. Let's take a look at some of the odds for this card. Marlon Vera plus one sixteen underdog on FanDuel Canada against Rob Font, who's minus one forty two. Uh, I like the Font side here. Actually, I think Rob Font wins this fight. The decision prop. I know. You know. I spoke to Rob Font today, and he says he really wants to get a finish. That's like what his goal is right now. I said, you know, if, if 2022 is going to end tomorrow, what, what would you have hoped to accomplish? And he's like, I, I want to get a finish. But uh, decision, I think, is probably the more likely outcome for this fight for uh, Rob Font. Arlovsky minus 150 favorite over Jay Collier. That's probably about where it should be. Andre Fili minus 265 against Joe Anderson Brito. Brito was uh, on the Contender Series. I don't know if this is a short notice fight or what the deal is, but uh, I think Joe Anderson Brito lost to Bill Algeo in his last fight. I'm going to look that up. I'm pretty sure that's what happened in, in the last fight for him. Yeah, lost to Bill Algeo. Unanimous decision. Came out, uh, if I remember, he came out pretty pretty strong in that first round, but then uh, kind of tired out. But uh, Andre Fili, a big favorite, probably should be against uh, Joe Anderson Brito. Minus 265 favorite. Grant Dawson, minus 172. Jared Gordon, plus 140. This is going to be a close fight. Two very similar styles of fighter. But I, I understand why Dawson is the the favorite here, but uh, that's an interesting one. Christoph Joshko, minus 172. Gerald Mearshart, plus 140. As I, as I always do, I will be betting uh, Mearshart by submission. I will be recommending that for TSN Edge. I can tell you that right now. That's how he finishes his fights. I don't know if Joshko's ever been submitted. I don't know if Joshko's ever been finished. <laughs> I'm going to look that up, actually. Joshko's a tough fighter. He's got five losses in his career. So, decision to Strickland. Got, oh, actually, got finished in back-to-back fights by Uriah Hall and Brad Tavares. A split decision loss to David Branch. I remember that being a close fight. And uh, got submitted by Magnus Seidenblad back in 2014. Eight years ago. But, uh, hey, if you've been submitted once and you're against the all-time submission leader in uh, UFC middleweight history, I'm taking the sub-prop, Gerald Mearshart. Spoken with extreme bias because Gerald's my guy. I like that guy a lot. And I know I shouldn't have bias towards any of these athletes, but Gerald Mearshart is a, a great fellow. Daniel Da Silva taking on Francisco Figueredo, the younger brother to Davison Figueredo. 
De Silva was uh, fought uh, Jeff Molina last time. I believe it was a short notice fight, if I'm not mistaken. Let me double check that. No, actually, it wasn't. It wasn't a short notice fight. But a uh, good fighter came in, looked okay against Molina, but got uh, finished in the second round. I would probably lean towards him. What are the odds on that one? Da Silva minus 128. I would probably say that that's probably about what, what the line should be. Gabriel Green minus 158. Johan Lines plus 128. Lines is just an absolute killer. This guy's a great fighter. But Gabriel Green's a, a really solid fighter as well. This is going to be a very close competitive fight. Uh, I would I would lean the underdog in Lines. I think that should probably be a, a, an even money fight. Uh, Nathan Levy minus 200. Mike Breeden plus 160. I would probably be parlaying Nathan Levy or seeing what the uh, submission prop is for Levy as well, because I believe that's probably how that, this fight ends. Uh, Gina Mazzani, minus 176. Shanna Young, plus 142. That's a pass for me. I don't, I don't, I don't know how this one goes. Mazzani, I believe, looked good. In, what, what was Mazzani's last fight? Let's look this up. If I recall, she looked good lately. Oh, no, she lost to Priscilla Cachoeira, got knocked out. And Shanna Young has lost two in a row. Stephanie Egger and Macy Chasson. So, uh, We'll see how that one goes. I, I have no no read on that one whatsoever. Tatsuro Tyra against Carlos Candelario. I will be going with Candelario in that one. He's plus 200 underdog. Should not be. I mean, Tyra's a solid prospect from Japan, but Carlos Candelario is really good. Arguably won his uh, contender series fight. I had it scored for his opponent, but strong fighter. Trains with the likes of Rob Font and a lot of the other guys out in New England. I'll probably be taking him as a TSN Edge recommended play for this Saturday. That's what we got on the uh, on the dockets coming up. Um, Joanny and Jacek versus Zhang Veili has been booked for June in Singapore, three round fight. Interesting. I know they were apparently trying to make it a five round fight, but hey, I'm okay with a three round fight. You know, I, there's a lot of good fights on that card as is. I think he already got two two five round championship fights, so. We'll see how that one goes. It was very surreal to see Fury and Ngannou in the ring together. It's like worlds colliding. I don't know if they've ever met before that. Maybe I'm wrong, but surprising nonetheless. Not a whole lot else going on in the other fight world. Just a lot of really good events. Paul Daly has a new opponent. Andre Koreshkov pulled out of their fight. Um... Which is good, because I don't think Paul Daly was going to beat Koreshkov. This is his retirement fight, so to get a short-notice opponent, a more beatable opponent, I'm, I'm all about that. I am all about that. I was very baffled by that uh, matchmaking. Not sure what else we can talk about here. I think that's about it in terms of, uh, in terms of news and what's coming up. Now, next week, we've got UFC 274 coming up. And I'm going to be in Phoenix for that one. I can't wait to get back on the road and go to Phoenix, Arizona for Bronx versus Gaethje. Hoo-wee! Now that, that's the kind of fight that everybody should want to see. Two of the most potent finishers in the history of that division. I mean, that, that fight, it's like, unless there's an accidental foul, like, my, my example of that is, like, remember Holloway and Oliveira fought, I think it was, like, in Saskatchewan or something? That was the main event. I was so stoked for that fight. It was, even though it was years ago. And, of course, you look at where, they've, where their careers have gone since then, but I was so stoked for that fight. And then he had that esophagus injury or whatever it was mid-fight. It's like, why? The MMA gods giveth and the MMA gods taketh away. But unless there's some sort of freak injury or 
weight cutting mishap or whatever. If this bell rings and the fight starts, again, unless there's some sort of freak injury or something, this fight's going to be unbelievable. It's the fight I was, I've most been looking forward to this year. I'll take this fight over Jones versus Ganu. I'll take this fight over Jones versus Stipe. This is the fight I want to see. And I mean, that might be the, the more hipster, one of the more hipster takes I have in terms of MMA. Or maybe I'm in the majority. Maybe everybody wants to see this fight. I mean, I'm sure everybody wants to see it, but I don't know if it's their most anticipated fight. But man, I signed me up for this fight. I can't wait for this one. Komei and Rosanama Yunus against Carla Sparza. That's a great fight as well. It's got a lot of history. I did a, uh, an essay for Sports Center this week talking about Nami Yunus versus Esparza, about how the division's kind of coming full circle. The first ever women's flyweight, uh, sorry, strawweight title fight was between these two. Nami Yunus was 22 at the time. Nami Yunus versus Esparza. Esparza outclassed her, was the better fighter at the time. I think it was Nami Yunus's, I think it was only her fourth official fight on her professional record. Maybe even third. Fourth, I think. Fourth fight. I mean, she had her fights in the tough house, but I mean... She was 22, young, inexperienced. Esparza won. Esparza lost her next fight. Hasn't had a championship fight since. And in that time, Nama Yunus has gone on to defeat every former champion of the division. Yinjaychik, Andraj, Zhang Veli. Now she has a chance to, to complete the quadrilogy and uh, beat Carla Esparza and have beaten every single women's strawweight in the history of the division, sorry, champion in the history of the division, and I think that that would cement her as the greatest women's strawweight of all time. Does anybody do you disagree? If you disagree, send me a message. But I mean, she'll have wins. Look, listen to this resume. If she gets this win over Esparza, so let's let's say that she gets a win over Esparza, she she gets revenge. Back to back wins over Zhang Veili. I know I know not everybody agreed with that split decision, but a very close fight. Another split decision win over Jessica Andrade. Again, kind of close decision, but a win's a win. Two wins over Joanna Janjacek, who at the time was the Boogie Woman. That was her nickname. That's who she was. She was beating everybody. Michelle Watterson, Tisha Torres, Paige Van Zandt, Angela Hill. And then in the Tough House, beat Randa Marcos, Joanne Calderwood, and Alex Chambers. I mean, like, just uh, a great resume. Just a great resume. I mean, if you look at Joanna's resume, who does she have on, on her resume? That was, I mean, her wins are Watterson, Tisha Torres. So those are wins that uh, Rose has had as well. Andrade, another win that Rose has had. Carolina, that's the one fighter that Rose actually lost to that Yohan has a win over. Uh, Gadelia, who never fought Rose. Valerie Letourneau never fought Rose, but she kind of flamed out at the uh, UFC after this fight. Uh, Jessica Panay, um, she's still in the UFC, but uh, you know hasn't had the best career. Uh, Carla Esparza, of course, that win. A split decision over Claudia Gadelia. Decision win over Juliana Lima. So that's... I would say that you have to say Rose has the better resume there, don't you think, at this point in the game? Especially considering Rose is still so young. She's only 29 years old. She still has a lot more left to do in the division if she wants to do it. If she doesn't want to do it and wants to retire, hey, I mean, she's basically done it all if she gets a win over Esparza. So let's see how this goes. I wouldn't be surprised if Rose retired after this fight, honestly. Not that she should or anything. I mean, she, again, like I said, only 29 years old. But well, what more is there for her to do? There's a lot of contenders coming up. You got the Marina Rodriguez's of the world. Andrade just got, you know, got back in the win column. She's in the top five. That's interesting, that's all. So let's see what ends up happening there. But uh, that's this is just a card that I can't wait to, to see. You got Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. Whew. Shogun Hua returning. When was the last time Shogun Hua fought? He's facing Ovin St. Preux. Last time he fought was against Paul Craig in November of 2020. I didn't realize he fought during the pandemic. 
Fought twice during the pandemic. This pandemic's been going on forever. <laughs> fought Little Nog to a split decision, and then, like, months later, fought Paul Craig. Feels like forever since Shogun who has fought. But, hey. The pandemic was, like, very slow at first. Like, everything was going by slowly, and then, like, it just seems like two years have gone by in a... In a or, like, one year went by really quickly. And, of course, Donald Cerrone versus Joe Lozon to round out the main card. And some really good fights also on the uh, on the prelims. Randy Brown against Chaos Williams. Maisie Chasson against uh, Norma Dumont. I didn't even realize that one was coming up, and that's a featherweight. Interesting. Brandon Royval against Matt Chanel. I believe that got rebooked, if I'm not mistaken. Was Chanel supposed to face Brandon Royval last time, or was it someone else? No, it was Alex Perez. Same management, so I got confused. Uh, Blagoy Ivanov against uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Francesco Trinaldo against Danny Roberts. Tracy Cortez and Melissa Gatto. Cleidson Rodriguez against J- CJ Vergara. Ariane Car- Carnalosi against Lupita Godinez. And Journey Newsom against Fernie Garcia. So, you know, not exactly the strongest card at the bottom, but at the top, we got, we're in business. Really excited for uh, this card next week. So I will be in Phoenix. Make sure you go to tsn.ca slash UFC. You can see all my interviews there. I'm sure we'll get a podcast going for you as well. Joe uh, will be back from overseas. Perhaps him and I can put something together on Tuesday before I leave. But uh, hey, I'm very excited to get back on the road. Very excited to be face-to-face with these fighters. I've only done it once since, uh, again, the start of the pandemic was November. Chandler and Gaethje were both on that card as well. So was Rosanama Yunus, actually, so... Will be some familiar faces from that uh, particular trip, but a lot of others like Brandon Royval. I don't think I've ever met. I think he started fighting. When was Royval's debut? Royval's UFC debut, yeah, it was like May 2020. So I definitely have never met him. I've interviewed him so many times. It just it feels like I've met him. That's exciting. I'm very happy to get back on the road, especially for this card. This is uh, an excellent, excellent card. And then you've got 275 uh, in Singapore, and that keeps adding. More and more great fights, but what's happening with two? What's announced? I'm gonna just see what's even announced for 276. That's International Fight Week. Do we have anything announced? Misha Tate versus Lauren Murphy. I think that's Misha Tate's flyweight debut, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right? Oh no, she lost. She's fought twice at flyweight already. What am I talking about? Oh no, sorry, it was bantamweight. It is her flyweight debut. I'm all over the place today. Misha Tate versus Lauren Murphy. Jessica I versus Casey O'Neill. Brad Tavares versus Drikas Duplessis. Jessica Rose Clark against Julia Stolyarenko and Uriah Hall versus Andre Muniz. They have some work to do. <laughs> we need some good fights on this. Not that these aren't good fights. They're good fights, but we're talking International Fight Week here. The bar has been raised by the UFC. We need to, we need to see some, uh, some fireworks in International Fight Week, but I will be there as well for the festivities of International Fight Week. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to reconnecting with a lot of uh, my colleagues I haven't seen in person. Like uh, I haven't seen Brian Campbell, my guy, in a while in person. So, looking forward to seeing being reunited with, with BC. And, of course, uh, all the... I haven't seen Hawani since the uh, the pandemic, so I think he's coming to International Fight Week, from what I understand. I haven't seen him in a while. When I was in New York, I got to, you know, reconnect with Mark Raimondi uh, and uh, E.K.C. Leiden and Jose Youngs, Oscar Willis. But there are a couple people that I need to catch up with still. So, I'm looking forward to that in... Possibly possibly next week, and then possibly in July. 
but no shortage of, uh, of, of big fights coming up. Just looking forward to uh, International Fight Week to see what they, they're able to put together. It feels like this every year. Like, we, we don't know what's going to happen. And then suddenly there's just uh, they pull a fight out of their hat. So let's wait and see before we, uh, we, we rush to judgment. Can't judge what we don't see. It's not what I'm all about. I'll make, I'll make my, uh, my judgments once the fights are booked. Not that my judgments matter to anybody in the least, but I will still make them nonetheless. Well, thanks for hanging in there with me this week. Uh, Joe will be back next week. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be able to put something together before I go to Phoenix. Uh, if not, tsn.ca slash UFC is your destination for all of our UFC coverage. I'll be doing the preview show prior to the event on Saturday, this Saturday, the uh, Vera versus, uh, sorry, Font versus Vera, rather, with uh, my guy Dan Tom on Saturday, so long as he's available. He usually is. So Saturday, about 30 minutes before the first fight, you can catch us live on Twitter, breaking down the matchups. My TSN Edge Picks will be up. You can get all of my interviews, all of my TSN Edge Picks, everything that I do over the course of a week. If you subscribe to my newsletter, go to twitter.com slash Aaron Bronstetter and click on subscribe. At the very top, there's a newsletter there. It'll go right to your inbox. And uh, you can see all my news, notes, everything. So do that when you get the chance. So until next week, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.